0: Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast with myself, Andries Vanzenaar, my fellow analyst, Harry Morgan, and our boss, Peter White. Uh, we'll be talking about the issue that we put out for Thursday the 12th and some of the big stories this week.
1: I wish we to talk about the solar
2: forecast. So the interesting thing about the solar forecast is, is all we've done is look at the obvious things that Biden said he's going to do. Uh, and we don't know for sure that he will be able to get away and do them uh, because we don't know whether it's going to be a 50-50 uh, senate or, or whether it's going to be a senate uh, sort of one vote against him but at the same time Biden's got a history of getting bipartisan support for ideas and I, I think he's he's a, he's a skilled politician in the kind of clinches so I think that will happen but today just after we've published the SEIA has come out with their own blueprint for Mr. Biden, almost telling him what they'd like him to do. And we know that their aim is to get 500 gigawatts of solar by 2030. And we've actually looked at that and said, do we believe the pipeline can inflate to that size quickly enough? And we probably just said no. So the US forecast is still high, up at 450 gigawatts, whereas previously we, we said by 2030, the capacity would be 235. Under, if every, nothing changed. And, and so a lot of that will be whether or not an extended ITC can be passed. But, you know, what and what will he do about the tariffs? Throughout the US, the, the commentators seem to suggest that he won't kill the Chinese tariffs. But I'm sure he will go back to the table afresh and look at whether or not there is anything fundamentally wrong in the relationship, trading relationship between China and the US. And I think he'll be more considerate and, and less likely to bring any new tariffs in and maybe to limit or end the ones that are uh, in play. And that certainly, that just flood cheaper panels into the US and make it easier to do business. Uh, Andres, what do you uh, you were uh, key to that forecast. You did a lot of the work
0: on that. What, what do you think that's about right? Well, I just don't know how much the Republicans care about preventing um, subsidies for solar. I, I, with, with batteries now as well to make it, uh, to firm it for the grid. I just don't know how much they'll actually oppose it. And another thing is you keep on seeing this bifacial import tariff exemption, which just keeps on slipping through the fingers of the Trump administration. So that will definitely still be an exemption under Biden, I would think. For imports, there's something like 500 megawatts or rising to a gigawatt at some point. So they are a big portion of imports because they're the ones getting let through, so to speak. I think that's a movable face. I think what can happen there is if you say, well, I can get these bifacial
2: panels without a tariff. And actually, they only cost x percent more but they give me y percent more energy actually i'll just use bifacials you know let's get the project done i just think there's an artificially high number of uh, bifacials being imported into the states right now do you think that would decline if imports in general were loosened it's difficult to say sometimes things are just done aren't they yeah we've tried them actually they are good actually we'll keep ordering them yeah (laughs) actually we should have we should have developed this project with them in mind let's let, let's do all the next projects with them in mind uh, but i mean biofacials aren't a panacea you know some environments they work well and some environments they don't work well they don't work well in a floating environment you they're almost give you zero in, improvement
1: and so we're talking a lot about uh, imports into the us through this sort of Biden administration what does it necessarily mean for the sort of domestic players like first solar and potentially Canadian solar are they going to benefit more than sort of the Chinese imports you think it's one of those tough decisions economically, isn't it?
2: See, I think if Biden was to do that calculation, he could say either all the developers, all the companies developing solar projects are going to get rid of this tariff and that because of the increased competition, the prices will fall and everyone gets healthy is one benefit but then the other downside is the percentage of the market that goes to domestic players goes down those domestic players are perfectly capable of operating on a global scale on global pricing without tariffs so my feeling is you tend towards getting rid of tariffs but then you can just keep your players more financially healthy but it's a false economy as we saw in germany to keep your local suppliers healthy with a tariff because if you if they're only supplying locally and they don't have global competitiveness they're not going to be healthy in the long term they're just going to go under so i, I think you know the whole european industry has uh, gone because of that so i don't think that's a good
1: strategy and in terms of so obviously the forecast entails a massive boost in forecast for the ux are there any sort of changes worldwide that we'll see in other countries due to the biden administration
2: I think the countries that come under fire most are Brazil and uh, Mexico. I I think that that that's in in the kind of American ambit. Relations are not good between the Democratic Party and Brazil, and they're not good between America and Mexico. And many of those companies that AMLO wanted to, was jealous of having all their government subsidies in in, uh, Mexico, uh, were American companies. And so the snubs that he's tried to deliver and that the Mexican courts have stopped him from changing their terms of of those renewables contracts in the last few years in Mexico are aimed at American companies and Biden will be standing up for them, I'm sure. It's different when it comes to Brazil. I think um, Donald Trump was probably all all stick and no carrot when it came to um, getting his way. And I I imagine that Biden's a little more subtle than that and that he might be able to find a way to make Bolsonaro a little more, uh, sympathetic with the climate change ambition.
0: So with Bolsonaro, does that mean, I mean obviously it means cutting down less of the rainforest and environmental protections, but Brazil seems to be developing its renewables at a reasonable pace, it's not going full tilt against them like Mexico is. So would Bolsonaro get pressured into being more favourable towards renewable energy? All the renewals that he's got there uh, couldn't help counteract
2: the damage that's caused by setting fire to uh, thousand-year-old trees uh, that have been capturing carbon for an enormous period of time and i think that you have to look at the economic desirability of cutting down the rainforest and make it economically undesirable by not rewarding it and making sure that america doesn't buy anything you know like meat from that part of the world so that if they set fire to more rainforests and put farm animals on it they don't get a benefit it's a matter of structuring the trade between America and Brazil, and the rest of the world in Brazil, showing Brazil what the right direction is. I mean, it's, it's a climate change issue, not a
0: not a renewables issue. And, and yeah. in, I think Mexico and Brazil, they both still haven't uh, congratulated Biden for the election, which suggests that they're both <laughs> planning on being defiant and they both want Biden to be as weak in his administration as he can be. Uh, possibly. I mean, yeah, we're not a political pamphlet. You know, I, I don't think um,
2: uh, we should should spend too much time there. I, I think you're right. The um, the more urgent problem is Mexico is almost frozen. All, all the investors are saying, I'm not going with a renewable project into Mexico. He might not pay me. He might not let me get paid. So I'm, um, you know, why would I go there?
0: And so, I think it's it's perhaps Amlo's central economic policy or one of his big economic policies and he's kind of a he's a populist and maybe an ideologue as well so he'll definitely want to resist it resist american pressure uh, well, how much do you think he can he's there till 2024 he mm. can until 2024 but if
2: america makes it to his disadvantage to trade with america on those terms then uh, i imagine that that will be felt by the population before 2024 and they'll have a new president mm. You know, I think that's how the world works. You know, you, you apply pressure, the pressure hits the pockets of, of, of the citizens of the country and they vote for someone else. That's pretty much how these, these things work. And the further you go down Latin America, the less influence America has got. And right at the top in Mexico, they have a lot. Um, let's look at the Indian solar story. It looks a bit doom and gloom, uh, Andres. <laughs> You're not seeing a lot of solar happening in India.
0: So uh, yeah, in, in the past few years, India was installing, so in 2018, it had 8.1 gigawatts of solar in that year, then 8.5 gigawatts the next year. And so for that level of solar development, you need about 700 megawatts per month. And right now we're looking at like 300 megawatts in September, 266 in October, and, and the rest of the year is, if anything, a bit weaker. So they're they're down at less than half of their usual pace. And it's because of the lockdowns and the pandemic and how that's interrupting, uh, physically constructing these places
2: I mean is there any is it can they catch up you know did, did suddenly everyone go back to work at a certain point and they all work double time and they all get paid the same amount and and it all
0: happens so much quicker I mean it all depends what what happens in the pandemic yeah I would think if they if the lockdowns end then they could catch up but I don't think that the lockdown is really ending in a quick way and I saw I saw a report from JMK Research saying, oh, it'll all be up back at the start of next year. but And they said, oh, um, imports have doubled since Q2. But that was because there was almost nothing in Q2 and Q3 imports are still down three, um, by 75 percent from the previous year.
2: So yeah, think... JMK Research, I take it, is a native um, Indian research company selling yeah. its research mostly to the Indian solar community. and. You couldn't put a report out sensibly and expect to sell it if you said doom and gloom, nothing's going to happen mm. Because no one's going to buy a report headline like that So I think they've got a vested interest and they're on the spot I don't think that there's much they can do there. I think you made a really good point at the end That this is not the time to push the self-reliance policy and start increasing tariffs on Chinese um, uh,
0: Panels. I mean there will, there will be a time but it's not now. Yeah, because China is is always, we're always seeing how China is upgrading its its solar output. It's making the cell sizes bigger, it's got good costs uh, and so on. So it'll just uh, be very painful to exclude those modules. So we weren't looking at Fortescue mining before um, <laughs> and they've come out
2: with this outrageous claim that they're going to build more renewable energy than I think that's more than any of the oil companies have said. If, uh, Harry, it's probably more
1: than all of the oil companies combined. Probably is more than the oil um, companies combined, certainly
2: 235 gigawatts of green energy.
1: Yeah, to me, I can't think of a combined number of oil majors that would get to that total soon.
2: Now, they haven't said by next week or by 2025. They've, got, they've, they've kind of left it open-ended, but we figured it was, they meant by 2040. But even so, it's still a considerable uh, even over 20 years it's it's um, more than 50 gigawatts every every five years, more than 10 gigawatts a year from a standing
0: start. I mean they probably have the money. Yeah, their, their profit was like four billion or something this year. The CEO, the founder of this company has a personal wealth of 17 billion, uh, which maybe is a stupid metric to look at. But they've they've already done a few solar projects just in their own locality in the Pilbara mining region in Australia so they've got like 150 megawatts of solar to just support their mining and some other small-scale projects and where they are in Western Australia is pretty close to the Asian Rehub project which is this hydrogen mega project of 50 gigawatts or 26 gigawatts so they're really in the right place to start with although you know with 235 gigawatts they've been looking all over the place
2: all over the world. What's happening in mining company share prices though? I, I imagine that in the current environment they're sliding and that this is an appeal to
0: shareholders more than um, more than a promise. Well, they've they've committed 731 million to this new arm already, but the, the rest of it they they say will be balance sheet finance. That's
2: not more than an oil company can commit. You know, the thing is, yeah.
0: most of the big oil companies are,
2: are spending double that on exploration still, and that's the thing that we find frustrating. Yeah, we kind of think, oh, you could put all of your capex money into th- this area and, and they, they can't because it's they've got to carry on doing what they always do. They can't stop themselves. Uh, I suppose it's true of a, of a mining company as well. They have to find new sources to mine and they have to do exploration and they have to spend money. But that's about half as
0: much as someone like BP could spend. Uh, but it's more than BP has promised, I believe. But, but I would have thought that a mining company would be under a lot less pressure even these days than an oil company.
2: You see, if you look at the five-year rolling average of their share price, you find that they're close to an all-time high. This is not a, a, a company that's got a downward slope for the past year and a half. It's it's doing fine. Two or three times the value it was in 2018. So it, this is perhaps genuine. He's got his shareholders where he wants them. Yeah, they're very happy. Uh, and this is perhaps a genuine move. I mean, that's what the share price would suggest to me, that we're being cynical and he perhaps isn't. I just want to talk about Iberdrola for a minute. I-, I think I get a bit hero uh, worshiping when I-, I listen to these capital markets days, uh, NL, Iberdrola, Eon, people like that. And you, you suddenly but the large American utilities are-, are threatening to spend 30 billion, 35 billion dollars uh, regularly, but not over five years. You know, you look at their CapEx plan and you roll it out against what they're going to spend on on renewables in the next 10 or 15 years or 20 years and it's 30 billion. And here's Iberdrola saying they're gonna spend 75 billion in renewables in the next five years. And you just kind of get a feeling that this is, this began as a relatively small European um, utility who started on the journey 20 years ago. And this is really about momentum and what you can do when you actually know what you're doing in renewables, when you've been doing it for a long time. And when the banks are used to lending to you and they're pretty happy with your returns
1: yeah, I think the thing about Avadrola is, and the thing that I'm finding really interesting hows how they're starting to really address markets like the US. You've got these incumbent utilities, probably with the exception of NextEra, who are very slow to react to the energy transition. I mean, we said before with um, looking at companies like Tesla, the reason they've done so well is that they've, they've spotted where there are massive laggards in the market in terms of uh, adopting renewables technologies, innovative technologies and moving forward. It's quite impressive, really, to see a company that was already large sort of trying to adopt that same sort of method in just in another market. So companies like Ipetrola, which probably were going to grow anyway off the back of, sort of electrification within Europe. I was going to say a huge growth, really, if they are planning to do the same in Europe, uh, in the US, and I think that, uh, in Brazil as well. So really exciting company to watch.
2: When you look at someone like NextEra, they've got a pipeline of 14.4 gigawatts in America. And, and they're adding they're adding about 1.7 gigawatts so about seven but by uh, pipeline for the us is 22.9 gigawatts this is a newly arrived foreign company all right they bought avon not, not uh, that was quite a while ago but 22.9 to be dwarfing next era in its own backyard in pipeline terms is um oh, think really impressive as a shareholder if you're a duke shareholder one of the other big um, slightly more fossil fuel loving uh, american Two it is. You just go, oh, I'll buy shares in these. This one's definitely going in the right direction all the time. All the financials stack up as well, and they're, they're, they're promising to grow their margin six to seven percent over uh, over the next uh, five years as well. Six to seven percent compound annual growth in EBITDA through the next five years. Now that's that's what they've done. In the past five so they're, they're, of course that's what they'll do in the next five but it, i mean it's not just idle chatter you, know, a, you have to do things you have to make more profit you have to, you have to do things um profitably as well as um with renewable um, focus but it just strikes me why why wouldn't um they just recruit a couple of iberdrola executives and put them in charge of some of these well when the shareholders finally rebel uh, in american uh, operators american utilities say no out with the fossil fuels. There's plenty of people who now know how to do it working on American soil, mostly working for European companies. I'm starting to change my tune on Nicola. (laughs) I can see whether the company is now good or was good in the past or is now good now Trevor Milton, the CEO, is gone doesn't seem to be relevant. It's whether or not shareholders are ever going to come near it again. The company seems to be Heading down the track of saying if we're going to launch the badger without a General Motors deal, um, we'll have to go to the market in the middle of 2021. Well, I don't see that its share price will will give it um, the the opportunity to go to the American public markets for money in, in in that time frame. And so if the GM deal is off, and there is lots of um, reassurance from Nicola that the GM deal is not off. And, but they're not saying it's definitely on. They're just saying we're still talking. Then the badger doesn't appear. And if the badger doesn't appear, there's a big chunk of revenue they're going to lose out on. And they are back to being a trucks business. They've gone from we've just signed this deal to we're still talking. We know how business works. If, if suddenly someone's share value was $22 billion and now it's $7 billion, you do a different deal. You say, yeah, yeah, we're still interested, but the numbers have changed. And suddenly... GM will be back at the table talking about a different deal, I'm sure. And whether or not it's palatable to the new management at uh, Nicola. I don't know. And, it, and if you imagine it without the revenue from the Badger hitting, um, I think it, I think that doesn't come out to 22 or 23, then they're back to being the supplier of the tree, uh, a semi-truck. Yeah, they still have possibilities of doing well there, but um, whether or not they have enough money, um, 908 million in the bank, um, they lost the 117 million last quarter. That would imply they have two years of cash, and they will need to go back to the, the money markets for cash in
0: in the next two years um, for survival. Never mind launching the Badger. So how much of the damage they suffered is just from that Hindenburg report? Because I, I remember all of it. Because I, I remember reading about it, and I think your coverage was well. Basically, the report was false, and Hindenburg was shorting their stock. So, so I don't think you can.
2: Uh, I think the no smoke without fire principle applies to um, the people that play a big short. Uh, You know, they've got to find something concrete. Um, They listed 55 points in their uh, statement and and we thought there was a point by point rebuttal from the company um, before Trevor Milton um, stood down. I've been around corporate environments like this for a long time. I've never seen a CEO step down when something like that has happened. Yeah, he was saying, yeah, if I'm the problem, then then let's leave the company intact and you take it out on me. At the time, the, the news this week that, that everyone focused on was that the Department of Justice has sent a grand jury subpoena to uh, Trevor Milton and, and people at, at the company. And that's to establish whether or not some of the statements that Hinderberg has said are true. And some of them, if true, are technically breaches of securities law. You can't promise stuff and lie about it, and in particular, they're saying that the the tree truck was rolled down a hill in slow motion, and then the, the video speeded up to make it look like it was driving under its own steam. And everything they said supported that, but didn't specifically say that was what was happening. But I'm sure everybody in the company knew that, and they knew that the, um, the battery uh, wasn't engaged and, and that the drive chain hadn't been completed or wasn't in readiness for that particular prototype. and I'm sure everybody knew that. so but if you would try if you try and say that to the public, it was, you know it depends if the intent was there to deceive, and if it was, then it is probably a securities fraud. The company gets a big fine and Trevor Milton probably can't be a director of, of, of a company for a long time. So I'm not quite sure whether that's going to pan out and whether anything's going to come public from that, and whether it's all going to be um, very quiet. But typically um, you do not get a CEO re- resigning when someone writes a bad, a bad report about you. And people have just gone with the no smoke without fire. And Hindenburg says, yeah, they've answered some of our points, but not all of them. If that's the case, there's still, there may be nothing wrong with the new
0: Nicola, but it still might die. <laughs> it's just because nobody wants to be caught a second time. It's just they're, they're short on money and time, and they've got these products that can save them, but they need to get them out. So people at the Financial Times start saying, oh, they're running
2: out of money. But the way that was presented was, our cash position's great, we've got 908 million. And I don't see how you can turn that into, oh, we're running out of money that's not what was said if you listen to the the conversation it's not the tone of what was said that's the only thing people can think to write about so if if you've got nothing but bad news you have to turn it by announcing some good news what good news have they got to say either the gm deal's on yeah they've 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 tested it we've changed some terms it's on uh, or that um uh, they're building a network of hydrogen recharge points across America. They're meant to be doing 480 or something. They're, they're only paying for about six themselves. Uh, they're expecting a partner to come along and join that, that effort. And if the partner is coming along, they're going to announce them this side of Christmas. If we don't see an announcement there, there is no. if there's no good news this side of Christmas, I can't, I, I just don't see you know, this bad news just keeps going on and on and on and the media just keeps repeating it. And it just talks down the stock.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to take something really impressive now for investors to suddenly feel confident in ploughing their money into Nicola. Um, we've also seen the effects of a really sort of trickle throughout um, the hydrogen industry. I think companies like Nell, which have had massive contracts from Nicola, um, have really sort of been struggling to raise money over the past like, few months, um, purely off the back of this Hindenburg report and sort of casting a question over whether or not the promises from these companies are actually true. Um, the
2: thing about Nell is they just got another um, a contract, uh, with the, um, I think it's Department of Defense, they, um, or it's actually the US Navy, but the, the, the electrolyzer to produce the other gas, oxygen, from water for um, submarines. So they've, they've managed to get that out as an announcement to try and say, yeah, but we're still doing business, you know, even if these 480 uh, orders don't come, come good, we're still doing other business. But I, I'm very suspicious of a company like Nell. It's a 100-year-old company almost, and it's selling the same old electrolyzers it's always had. There's not a lot of R&D into new ways of doing things. And I see a new wave of companies driving the hydrogen business, not an old wave.
1: Yeah, I think Nell do, will do well off just off sort of the, the back of the hydrogen industry growing, certainly in the early stages, but I think, yeah, long-term, there probably will be companies that are innovating much more heavily. Now purely at the moment, just sort of satisfy their market position on the fact that they've been in the market a long time. They've got a fairly established supply chain, so everything's fairly low cost. Yeah, looking forward, they don't seem to have anything like uh, an apt to where you've got something slightly more revolutionary in terms of a modular electrolyzer. So, yeah, I'm skeptical about now, still very, very confident about hydrogen economy in the future. But we uh, need to make sure that we don't confuse the downturn of nickel and potentially sort of the stagnant performance of now with sort of a reluctance from governments to actually invest in the hydrogen transition.
2: Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, you're right, it could turn the tide there, but I don't think so. I think the governments uh, have their own scientific advisors and they are all saying this is the way to go. And if there are some casualties along the way, and if Nigel is one of them, it's not our problem. We, we've still got to go down this route. I, I don't see that, that tide turning.